On this week's episode of Three Rural White Guys, we'll discuss the partisan divide and which party is widening that gap. I don't think the answer will surprise you. We'll also discuss rank choice voting. We actually have an in-house expert with Kellen Gracie, who is a nationally respected researcher on the topic. And finally, has the Republican Party lost all claim to the moral high ground? Between QAnon, conspiracy theorists, attacks on our capital, as well as Congressman Matt Gates, it seems like maybe they have. This is Three Rural White Guys. Let's go. All right, Kellen, you held back last week. I'm proud of you. You did really good. Bring it on. What do you know about Matt Gates this week? Well, I hear Bahamas are, are nice this time of year, Mike. Bahamas? Tell me about it. Yeah, federal investigators looking into a Bahamas trip Matt Gates allegedly took in either late uh, 2018 or early 2019 as part of an inquiry into whether this guy violated sex trafficking laws. Okay, this guy is supposed to be... Prominent is is prominent. The word is um, he's been described as a foot soldier. Yeah, foot soldier. Yes. That's a great yeah. that's a great way to put it. Yeah, in the know. This guy, Matt Gates, and a big thing in Trump land is QAnon. Right now, the entirety of QAnon is based on this idea that Democrat elected officials, primarily Hillary Clinton and her aides, and that's kind of where it started. Right, it branched out, but. Democrat elected officials are running a global pedophile cabal. And it's in the all, basement of a pizza parlor. Uh, well, that's just, that's, that's one location, Mike. Oh, there's many. That's okay, just interesting. one, that's interesting. one verified. They sent Navy SEALs in there and, and rescued one, like 650 yeah. kids. That's just right. the one verified Despite location. Despite the fact they found no basement yeah. in just, the pizza place. Yeah, FYI, this pizza place doesn't have a basement. Right, right. <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> that the government will tell you about. Jesus, help me. If you go if you go back into the annals of QAnon history, if we stretch back <laughs> all six months of them, yes. <laughs> Actually, it really is more like three years, okay, Mike. Okay. So, you know. Yeah, I, I I haven't done my research. Sorry, <laughs> I'll open up Parlor and I'll get on there. Oh yeah, they go they go back to about uh, 2017, 2018. But uh, if you go back in there, Matt Gates is is all over the place. In terms of being a trusted source, right? A trusted official, trusted figure, uh, part of the the foot, the loyal foot soldier, and the army of of Trump's anti-pedophile, what whatever, whatever, right? And this guy's gonna he's he's gonna go to prison for sex trafficking, violating sex trafficking laws. That's what's gonna happen. There's so much to say. I mean, where do you start, really, honestly? I mean, I, I, it's been interesting to watch this thing evolve over the last week or whatever it is. I, that, that, that broke last week right before we recorded, didn't it? Yeah, it yeah. did. Yeah, Guys, so he goes to the Bahamas and buys underage prostitutes. Well, we're talking about a guy that, that went on TV last week and, and, and you know claimed this big extortion investigation was going to save him, right? Because the investigation started under Bill Barr's DOJ while yeah. Trump was president. <clears throat> but uh, he, he, he manages to, to toss Tucker Carlson under the bus in the process, creating what was easily probably one of the single most awkward TV interviews ever. Or best. And it, and it just goes downhill from here. You know, they, they uh, released that he had sought a preemptive pardon 
from Trump mm-hmm. before he left office because, you know, you ask for preemptive pardons if you've done absolutely nothing wrong. <laughs> and now there's there's the reports that, you know, he was going around on the floor of Congress, like uh, basically showing off his quote-unquote trophies, you know, of nude pictures of all of these women that he supposedly slept with. So, I mean, you know, he seems like a real stand-up guy. Real stand-up guy. Super Christian. And this is the same guy that on the night of the attacks on the Capitol, they came back into session to, to finish the confirmation of the, the votes of, of now President Joe Biden. And he said he has seen reports on the news right now that it wasn't actually Trump supporters. It was Antifa members. He was already selling a narrative that was a lie to the American public on that floor of Congress right after Congress had been attacked. Simply put, a decade ago, this guy would have been out already. He, he, they would have distanced themselves. He would have had no support. The Republican Party would have abandoned him. Yeah. And, and he would have, there would have been calls on both sides of the aisle to get out and resign. And nothing. Nothing. I mean, you got Jim Jordan going, well, uh, you know, let's see if these charges are, are, are proven in a court of law. I mean, they're going to literally wait until he's convicted before they decide whether or not they're going to err on the side of this or not. Right. And you can make that argument that, well, people are entitled to the right of a fair trial, but uh, not in the world of politics. I mean, when the hell have we ever let anybody off in politics for this kind of crap? Right. That's Matt Gates in 2016 arguing on the floor. We're, we're looking at a picture on our TV here in the studio. Against a bill that's meant to stop people from sharing sexually explicit images of their ex-lovers. So uh, essentially a bill aimed at ending revenge porn from from happening right or uh, or having consequences from a possible purveyor of revenge porn uh right. from a definite <laughs> purveyor of revenge porn uh, well, i guess that uh, depends on how you define that but well yeah i mean you have you have members of sitting members of congress talking to media right now saying i've seen pictures that this guy's shown me of yeah people he's been engaged with yeah well there there he is in 2016 arguing against a revenge porn bill. I'm just going to say it. I'll be the political hack. There there are no morals and ethics left in the Republican Party. It's gone. No, they, they can go on about their, their morals and values and, and whatever. I'll, I'll avoid swearing. But but it's just it's insane. Right. It's absolutely insane that, that uh, they, they continue to tolerate. But that said, let's go there for a second. Because the, the common argument you get back, and again, I was a lobbyist for four years for the Catholic Church, right? And so one of the biggest reasons that a lot of people I work with within the Catholic Church are Republican is solely the abortion issue. They see a, an unborn, they see an unborn child instead of a fetus, right? And so no matter what issue you put up opposed to that as the counter for the other party, they will absolutely say it doesn't matter. They're worse. Essentially, uh, single-issue voters, right? So we're, we're talking yeah. about people who ultimately narrow in on, on what political decisions are going to make based on one particular issue, one particular Despite thing. Despite what their own party, no matter how far to the insanity level that the party they're part of goes. Forget party, Mike. Forget party. Think class. Okay. Right or or race even or whatever what whatever other demographic identity you might have that draws you to some sort of group, sure, party maybe 
ideological constraint is what we call it in political science. What basket of preferences do you have, right? That basket of preferences is shaped largely by the environment you find yourself in and, and sure. it's the social networks that you have. And at the end of the day, single issue voters associate with single issue voters. And in, in this case, it's who I go in the pews with on Sunday when it right. comes to this particular issue. Right. Let's, let's pause that one. I want to use this as a teaser for people because this issue particularly, I think all three of us have a lot of, a lot to say on it to start with also a lot of expertise and background experience dealing with it. And I want to make sure we use that as a full episode to me today. I want to focus on this though, is that that divide is, is huge because what of divide? what you just brought. Which divide? Uh, we'll call it the, uh, the extremism divide. There's the, the between the far left and the far right. Uh, Maybe even how far the right has gotten. The, the gap has gotten bigger from the, I think we have the far left. We've always had the far left and the far right. And I feel like the far right now has gotten larger and farther to the right. Well, I could write a blog about this. Okay. This is not something theoretical. This is quantifiable. Mm -hmm. It's not something that we can have a couple of beers and, and, and hypothesize about. This is something that is measurable in terms of the, what we call the DW nominate scores or the ideological scoring of each of the individual house members yep. and where they fall on a spectrum, all 435 of them that, that have voting privileges and where they fall on that spectrum shifts over time, largely uh, dependent on a, a lot of different things. But at, at, at the end of the day, uh, the shift that you're seeing in terms of, let's say partisanship is an issue, right? And the partisan divide is the problem. Where we were 10 years ago was, and where we are now, you look at that just 10 year shift, where we are now, the spectrum hasn't moved at all on the left-hand side. It's the folks on the right-hand side of the spectrum moving further on down the spectrum. And, and this isn't something that's just something we toss out on a progressive podcast. It's not, yeah, it's not just a biased opinion no. based on your viewpoint here. Right, this, this is, is quantifiable uh, DW nominate scores. So th th these are things that we teach in, in courses, in, in textbooks about how, how, do we, how do you measure ideology? How do you measure partisanship? How do you measure preferences, right? These are, these are legitimate concepts, right? And some people might scoff at it and go smoke some meat, and that's fine. They can smoke their meat. <laughs> But those of us who are really interested in these issues and are really concerned about politics and really want to understand the world around us, we do measure these things. What you just described exists. And I think it's fair to say there's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of reasons that that shift has taken place. One of the solutions that gets put out by experts such as Kellen Gracie right here in this room is, is ranked choice voting it starts to eliminate some of that extremism. Or the, also known as preferential or instant runoff voting. Right, right. And so here in a little bit after the break, we're going we're gonna to touch on that. And we're actually going to, Jacob and I are going to treat Kellen as if he's our guest. We're going to interview him. So for those of us that try to figure out what's expert mean in this day and age, um, it means two things. One, from a very public perspective, he's the person that, that news organizations call to get quotes on about ranked choice voting to understand how it works, what kind of change it'll do in the election and so on. But I think more importantly, especially for academics that are our listeners, 
Kellen's the kind of person that gets asked to do peer reviews on research around uh, ranked yeah, choice from voting. From time to time. From time to time? Okay, yeah. So th- th- that gives you an idea. We actually have an expert in the field here. And so we're going to take advantage of that today and interview him after the break here on that issue because we see it as a positive step. As we say, we, are, we believe in what are some solutions to some of this stuff. And when it comes to that massive, almost radicalized divide in, in partisan politics lately, ranked choice voting may be one of those solutions. So we'll touch on that right after the break. Welcome back to Three Rural White Guys. We're going to spend the second half of our episode today talking about rank choice voting, the more common name of it. And we happen to have an expert in-house on it. And that's Kellen. That's me. And you all may be thinking, what the hell, guys? Why, you, you always get good people to interview. They're always more diverse, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Sometimes when you have someone in your own backyard, literally in the own garage where we're, where we're recording right now, it's important to, to utilize their expertise. And Kellen is one of the premier experts uh, on ranked choice voting in the country. So um, not to stroke your ego any more than it probably already is. Uh, Kellen, tell us why we should pay attention to you at all in terms of your expertise and background when it comes to ranked choice voting? Well, you shouldn't. <laughs> okay, and that ends our episode of Three World White Guys. It's been fun, everybody. No, um, I mean, yeah, I have I have some important things to say. And, and, and yes, I, I have a, a little bit of a background in terms of research on the subject, but I will say um, at some point in this season, um, we will bring on somebody else to, to talk more about it. For sure. Yeah. But... Um, in terms of answering your question, Mike, uh, why why do you, why should people care about what I say? Um, we we did a little bit of an intro earlier in the season, but uh, one one thing one one research aspect of my background and in terms of my my PhD in political science, one one thing I'm really 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 interested in is electoral reform and in particular ranked choice voting and and what that means is ultimately uh, preferential voting, and I say that preferential voting because it's a voting system ranked choice voting is a voting system that allows people to vote for multiple candidates in order of preference and you might be thinking well wait a minute right one person one vote that's the fundamental foundation of american democracy and while a that's not really true uh but b also um at the end of the day democracy is all about choosing the person who's best fit to represent us, right? Right. If we're not willing to take the time to engage in direct democracy in a way that we all say, learn about the legislation, learn about the bills, and then go and do it like the way they did in the ancient polis and the Greek polis back in uh, 2000 BC and well, more like 600 BC if we're talking about Plato, but if we're, we're talking about the ancient Greeks and the classics and, and so on and so forth, that's a, a, a direct democracy system, right? We're not going to ever achieve that, that goal. So we have, to, we have to get to a point where our representative democracy, where we're electing people to represent us, we have to get to a point where we're ensuring the people who are representing the districts that they claim to represent actually do represent them, right? And one way to do that would be to eliminate two-party the, the two-party system and encourage a preferential system in which people can vote for multiple candidates in rank of preference. 
And that's ultimately what ranked choice voting does. So for, for people like me who have never really dealt with ranked choice voting before, what does that look like practically? You know, there's sure. a, there's a things online, like explain it to me like I'm five, yeah. sort of a trend. So what's that mean to, if you're explaining it to a five-year-old, what this election system process would look like? What's that? What's yeah. that sound like? I mean, five-year-olds can't vote, Mike, but if you're 18. <laughs> but we're prepping them. We're prepping yeah. them. In if you're classroom. 18 and you can vote and you're just now heading out into your civic duty, you go to, you go to the, the, the polling place right now and you get a ballot. And let's say you're, you're voting for president, right? And the president says, pick from these options one choice, right? Or say you're, you're choosing senator or House of Reps member. Right. And it says, choose who your choice, uh, fill in one bubble, right? Uh, where we live, that's a bubble on a, on a ballot. You have to fill in the bubble for the person you want to vote for. You can only make one selection for each office, right? So for, let's, let's just limit it to house members, right? So for the house member in our district, you have to vote for one person. We had to vote for either Rita Hart or Marionette Miller Meeks uh, in our recent election, one or the other, right? Now, what, what is that? How does that look different in a ranked choice voting system? Well, you eliminate the primary, right? So Rita Hart beat some Democratic challengers in her primary. Marionette Miller Meeks beat some Republican challengers in her primary. You put them all into one vote, right? So if there were four Republican challengers and four Democratic challengers, that means the voter can choose from eight people. So you, you have, right off the bat, you have more choice because you don't have to declare a party in order to choose from one of these eight people right off the bat. Um, but ranked choice voting, right? Already you can see a difference. But then you're asked, hey, you, you essentially can rank your preference one, two, three. Who's your first preference? If you had four Democrats, four Republicans, you had eight total candidates to choose from in this House race, who would your number one choice be? And you can pick that number one choice irregardless of party preference, right? And then you can say, well, if this particular person doesn't win, this is my second person, this is my third person. Now, what what's is, it mean to win? Is there like a threshold that that has yeah. to Yeah, so then when why this is called instant runoff uh, in some places is once we go to the voting stage, right? Say everybody's cast their ballots, everybody's put their one, two, three preferences in, right? Now everybody, we go to the tallying phase to count the ballots, and we'll do a first round counting of all the ballots, everybody who elect, everybody who voted in that precinct, right? And this is how the ballots are displayed. Maybe there's six candidates who got votes, right? The sixth candidate with the fewest amount of first place votes gets cast off. All those people who had that candidate as their first round place, their second choice now gets calculated. So their ballots are redistributed, right? So on and so forth. And you do this until somebody wins 50% plus one. So it also, uh, an upside is it forces a, a, plur, uh, a majority winner instead of a plurality winner. A lot of the times in cases across the US and house districts particularly, you might have a situation where you have a Republican candidate, a Democratic candidate, and then a third-party candidate. That third-party candidate, more often than not, leads one way or the other, either Democrat or liberal, or either liberal or conservative. And so it takes votes away. If they lean liberal, 
they're taking votes away from the Democrat. If they lean Republican, or if they lean conservative, they're taking votes away from the Republicans, so on and so forth. So in this scenario, you don't have those kinds of vote takers, so to speak. So in a nutshell, this kind of sounds similar to how we run our caucus in Iowa, short of the party affiliation. There are actually a lot of ways. We've used ranked choice voting across the U.S., uh, especially at the municipal level throughout history. Um, and there used to be a time back in the mid to late 1800s where ranked choice voting was pretty popular in terms of municipal level and county level uh, elections. But what path have we gone down because we don't have ranked choice voting? And what problem would this solve aside from giving me as a voter more options? Like you have less options. And is that, what does that cause having less options? What's it worse policy? Okay. So let's go there for a second. Yeah. Cause that to me is, is really the critical piece here. Partisan charged policy. Okay. We're getting partisan charged policy as opposed to thoughtful policy because our elections are driven by who can own the libs or who can own the, the right, right? Or I don't know. Is that a thing? I don't know. Owning the right? Yeah. I don't know, but owning the libs is definitely a thing. So who can own the libs more is the person who wins the Republican nomination. You know what I mean? So from the perspective of policymaking, you want policymakers who are serious about making policy and not just about owning the libs. That's the consequential part of this, right. is we want policymakers. Wouldn't it also stand to reason that it's it would probably engage those people who who just don't, they're not politically active and they don't vote anymore because they're fed up with the two-party system and they feel there's no legitimate valuable option anymore. I mean, we, we did see some, in the last few years, some very strong, potentially good third-party candidates. And and certainly in, in 2016, I think, uh, you know, Gary Johnson came on the scene. He had some good ideas. He, he resonated with a lot of people. But there were those when it when it became clear what the alternative were, maybe perhaps those people that that would have went one way or the other, whether they went Democrat or Republican, they split off from him because they they thought there was too much at stake in the election by giving their vote away to the third party candidate. And I think that's why we don't see much in the third party side, because people don't want to give up their vote. That's exactly right. Would, would that would that translate as well with with other what traditionally more extreme not extreme uh, other primary challengers who may have two or three really good ideas but aren't aren't, aren't the mainstream you know who's going to yeah, win they don't thing. have the money behind them yeah the the andy what's his name the the guy in new york running for mayor what's his name andrew yang yeah the andrew yeah, yangs the does it this is a question for you as the interviewee here does it change how the 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 election leader the one who's leading in the in the process views those other candidates yeah, they try to cultivate 100%. their voters yeah 100 percent. so all of a sudden your your marketing campaign has to shift right you can't just be marketing to people who are against the republican party if you're a democratic operative right you have to be looking for people who aren't against the republican party but also aren't against the Democratic Party too, right? And try to figure out a way to gain those voters because the way that ranked choice voting works is you can't focus in on your opponent's negative personal characteristics. 
you have to focus in on their policy characteristics. And there's a reason why, strategically speaking. Campaigns in Minneapolis around that time when they adopted Ranked Choice, they had one general theme about them that I, I spent all this time hand-coding. They didn't care about the other people. You you look at your, your modern-day American political campaign, and it's all about the other candidate, right? You go back, you look at just the Iowa Senate campaign, 2020, right? Greenfield versus Ernst. What were those ads about? The other candidate, constantly, like 90% of them, right? When you look at RCV, 0% are about the other candidate. Because they need those votes of that other candidate. Because those other, those other candidate supporters could potentially rank them second. Right. So you don't want to alienate them. So you need to find a policy position that brings them in. All of a sudden, we're talking about a dramatically different political world where the candidates are thinking differently about how to win elections. You see where I'm going with this? Oh, that's the heart of it, right? That's absolutely the heart of it. So you have a scenario in which candidates are less concerned about the peripherals, about what the other candidates are doing, and more concerned about how do I get these people in my district to vote for me? So at the end of the day, this really isn't even a partisan thing. This is, this is something that, that doesn't necessarily benefit Democrats or Republicans. It just benefits the American voter in the sense that we don't have negative campaign ads anymore. The campaign ads are focused on what people largely say they want to see in a campaign ad of tell me what it is that you intend to do. There's that point. It would largely take money out of politics. It would break down the machine in politics. And it would allow for more true representative government instead of people like Charles Grassley sitting there for 40 years thinking, I don't have to worry about anything. I'm going to get reelected. I think something like preferential voting, something like ranked choice voting really levels the playing field. So is this even a realistic option? Yes. Okay. And then do you want to do you want to shift Iowa to ranked choice voting? Based on what you said and the hell we went through the last two years running up to the presidential election, which included the Senate and and governor in two years from now, it's it's a nightmare. What's the negative? Is there a negative to ranked choice voting? Our look at ranked choice voting has spanned several years and has looked at multiple independent sources. And across the board, we are finding that there are no detrimental impacts if you are in a category of a racial or even a economic minority. We're finding the only detrimental impacts to understanding whether or not you can comprehend. It, 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 there's a little bit of elitism going on here. The idea is that People aren't going to be under, able to understand this complicated stuff, and that's just not true. We, we've looked at different subcategories of the population, and one area we've found where people do struggle is age. Age. Uh, people over the age of 65 struggle with this. So there's a, a need for education for older folks. There's also a question of whether or not this is just a hesitancy to change uh, among people of older folks. But... At the end of the day, 
uh, are we going to hold up progress because people over the age of 65 are struggling to understand the benefit of this? It's the it's the rural so that's a roundabout question. That's it's, a legitimate yeah, question. I call that the rural roundabout argument. It's we have a lot of four way stops in rural America, but the second you talk about putting a roundabout in, all hell breaks loose. All hell breaks loose. Yeah, even though they're far more efficient, less dangerous, all it's the changed. all the data show that the it's okay. Change itself is what's problematic. Exactly. It doesn't matter if you're talking about a roundabout or a grocery store or the new gas station. It doesn't matter. It's change. There is no racial or ethnic uh, disparity in terms of capability of understanding ranked choice voting versus plurality voting or preferential voting versus plurality voting. There's just no systematic evidence to suggest that whatsoever. So what you're saying, what I hear you saying, I think, is that, yes, it's a better system, but you have to add the variable of education, too. We need to have a campaign yeah, 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 for each election and, and teaching I, people how yeah, to change. Absolutely. And and this was the case in Minneapolis. This is the case in Cambridge. This is the case in New York City this go-round. In, in my interview with uh, New York City's NPR station, they asked, how do, how do you make this work, right? And and it's a case in Minneapolis, a case in New York City. You, you have to have a robust education campaign associated with it. You can't just roll out these new ballots. You have to also tell your 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 citizens, hey, this is how you vote. This is what the ballot changes look like. This is, and, and when you do that, we found in our research, there's no systematic evidence to suggest that there's a racial disparity. Like black people are not less able to understand those instructions than white people, right? right. That's not a thing. Is, is there one for poverty and, and lack of education? So, yeah, we looked at everything across the board, including racial ethnic groups, uh, educational divides, and po uh, income divides. And the only thing we found significant evidence for was age. Right. So, yes, uh, people over the age of 65 tend to struggle with this more than people under the age of 65. It improves representation. The number of people who have their voice heard I don't care what you say. There's no way you can convince me that how we're doing things now is more representative than ranked choice voting. So right off the bat, there's that, right? If you're asking me why I'm talking about this right now. The second point is civility and a decrease in partisanship. All we're doing, all we're seeing right now is a heightened level of, oh, you have a Trump flag. Oh, you have a Biden flag. F you. Right. Right. That's just all we're seeing constantly. So let's let's play this out with our listeners. Then we have listeners in, in rural Idaho. We have listeners here in Iowa and Wisconsin, Minnesota, Kansas, Nebraska, a lot of Midwestern states, mostly listening in from predominantly Republican rural districts. We live in a system constrained by the two parties, and it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. I think that message resonates with your rural conservative who says, you know what? I'm not with Matt Gates, but I'm also not with AOC. Right. You know what I mean? I'm somewhere in here. So you've got two, two relevant voting issues going on in America right now. Right? Okay. You have the, the question of integrity of our electoral process, which we know it is perfectly fine. Right. But you have a whole block of people that don't think it's fine true and then you have a whole lot of people who like Colin said they're they're tired of being forced to 
choose between extremism and that that both parties have have shifted away and there is there is i think there is if there's anything that unifies most voters in rural america i think it's a true disdain for the two-party system right yeah and i think that this solves both of those issues it's one of the one of the puzzle pieces to making things better it's not a partisan issue it's it's this is a this is a better way to improve our democracy right so I think we've covered pretty thoroughly the the why. Why is ranked choice voting a, a legitimate option that's been used in other places to to make our democracy more viable, more more useful, more policy driven instead of partisanship driven? The next question is really is how. You know, we're out of time for our episode today, but there are many entities out there and organizations and individuals that are pushing ranked choice voting, especially in rural communities in rural based states uh, that are using Kellen's data and using all the research that's been done on this. And so we're going to explore that a little bit at a later episode, but for now we're going to wrap up this episode. Thank you both for uh, joining me again today. Thank you to all our listeners for being here. Please be sure to like us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, follow us and as well as Instagram. And uh, we look forward to having you join us next week.